Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Maybe you've been journeying with us for the last few weeks, and you know we're in the middle of a, of a year uh, focused on the kingdom of God. Um, in the last few messages that have been brought, I've been kind of laying the foundation for that. In fact, last week we talked a lot about um, just kind of what it feels like to be a part of a kingdom that is now and not yet. That while Jesus brought the kingdom of God and announced it and, and, and it's here, it's not fully present. And that's why so many of us live with that angst and that, that frustration of a kingdom that has been promised, but that hasn't been fully delivered, even though it is here, but it's not here completely. And, ah, oh, right? That's why we groan. Like, that's why we pray. And that's why he gave us the prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, because we're invested in bringing more and more of the kingdom of God on the earth. And he longs to hear us cry out for that. Well, today starts the, the first of four messages that are going to be committed to reaching back and grabbing hold of of Old Testament, or Older Testament, as Pastor Pete likes to say it, um, truths and scriptures, to, to really understand more fully what the kingdom of God really is. Um, and so we're going to be touching something called the Tanakh. And so you're thinking, oh no, that sounds scary. Is it furry? Um, is it slimy? No, it's not some weird dish you'd find in a restaurant. It, the Tanakh is really an acronym that the Jewish people use for their Bible, the Old Testament. What we call the Old Testament, they call it Tanakh. And it's really three parts of the Torah, the Nevium, and the Ketuvim. And, and these three refer to the, the law, the prophets, and the writings, which are you know, histories and wisdom literature and things like that in the Old Testament. So when you call it old, the Old Testament's offended because, no, not like your mother or your grandmother. Um, instead, uh, we call it old because we have we have a new testament as well but i do think it's important to grab hold of some some new language as we think about it and, and one of those reasons is sometimes when we say old testament we're, we might grab hold of the idea that maybe it's antiquated or that maybe it's not relevant or it's, it's the trappings of some old covenant but nothing could be further from the truth the older testament the the tanakh is living and active in fact um, paul had this to say to timothy about the Tanakh, or the Old Testament. He said, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for righteousness. When, when Paul said this to Timothy, or when he penned this to Timothy, he was talking about what we call the Old Testament, the Older Testament. Uh, the, you know, Romans wasn't written yet. Colossians wasn't written yet. Like The scriptures that Jesus grew up with was the Old Testament, the Tanakh. Uh, and so these are the words that he memorized. These are the words that he quoted as he did his ministry. These are words that are life-giving. And so today, we're going to reach back like we will in the next few weeks and really be intentional about recovering an appreciation for the kingdom of God that's rooted in the Tanakh, the Older Testament. So we're going to start by going all the way back to Genesis 1. So I encourage you to find that. If you don't know where Genesis 1 is, it's like the very first page in your Bible. After you get through all of the credits for the people that were part of the translation and a title page and where you would cite it if you were writing a paper, then comes Genesis 1. 
So Genesis 1, 1 is where we're going to start, and you guys are going to recognize the beginning of this, I'm sure. Before we read a thing, I want to pray. Let's ask God to help us. Father, we come to you and, and we acknowledge that you are the giver of life, and we give you thanks and praise for who you are. And we just, we gather today in faith that you still have something to say, that you're not done um, speaking, that, that you have words of wisdom and life for us. And Lord, as we open the scriptures today, we pray that you would st- stir our hearts like you did as you walked around along the road with those who were on their way to Emmaus. Lord, uh, open our eyes. Um, help us to see things we might not have seen before. Reveal yourself and your will. Uh, and Lord, set our hearts on fire as we hear it, Lord, so we can be a people who really and truly belong to your kingdom. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning, God created. Now, that's, that's part you probably know. You've heard that before. Um, but what follows is, is really important. Um, these are the words of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And I'll stop there for a minute. And I want to argue that what the creation account is about is more than just an orderly account of everything that happened in the order that it happened, just how it happened. You'll notice there are some, um, you know, some formulas uh, for water or for hydrogen that are missing in the account. Like we're not getting down in the weeds and oh, well, first there was an atom and there's a nuclear, blah, 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 because we'd be asleep, right? But, but this is here to do more than give an account. This story is about giving an orientation, really an introduction to God. There's people who told this story and shared this story around a campfire uh, before it was written or even after it was written and it just resided in maybe a synagogue somewhere, they, they shared these stories orally and they would share them. That's why there's a lot of repetition in the stories and why it's, you can, there are hooks where you can remember, oh yeah, and then God said, and then God said, and then God said. And this is a part of the way the story was shared, but it's also shared to communicate who this God is. There's so much about how creation happens that testifies to who our God is. And these are four, four convictions that I have about what, what the creation account suggests about who our God is. I want to share those with you. I want to start by suggesting that this account of creation introduces us to a God who brings order to the chaos. He brings order to the chaos. And if you'll pay attention to the way this is shared, there's a lot of, there's a lot of structure here. Um, you know, we, our first image of God, the Bible opens and the scene would be I mean, if you were sitting in a theater, there'd be rumbling, it'd be dark and all those kinds of things. You'd be watching it and you'd be wondering what's going to happen. And it'd be unsettling, it'd be disorienting. But then there's a God who's hovering over the surface of the deep. And he speaks, let there be light. And it happens. And over all that chaos, he brings order. Now, a lot of other religions have creation stories. And what binds a lot of them together is this idea that there's this struggle between beings, these divine beings, and what results in the end out of all this chaos is is earth. Not our God. Our God, in the midst of all that chaos, speaks to bring order. 
He's a God who brings order to the chaos. Uh, Second, he's a God who speaks life. Our God is a God who speaks life. Notice he's not getting his hands dirty. You know, I used to drive uh, with my parents on long road trips through, uh, from Texas and through New Mexico and Colorado. And I would just imagine like God, like taking a fingernail and carving out a canyon or pushing together the dirt to form a giant mountain. I mean, these aren't hills, guys. Like the Rocky Mountains are, oh, they're just enormous. And I used to imagine that as a kid. But what's even better than that is what we learn in Genesis 1 and 2, that God just speaks and it happens. That's the authority and the power of our God. And think about that for a people who are hearing this story, you know, you know, 5,000 years ago, who were tilling the land and, and who were sowing. The, and, and the effort required to just move dirt was overwhelming. And even today in my backyard, when I try to dig a hole to put a post in, I think, oh, Lord, this is hard. Our God speaks and it happens. And there's... There's great order in it. You know, he frames and he fills. You know, he, he says, let there be light. And then day four, he fills it with the sun, and the moon, and stars. Um, he, he creates an expanse between the waters of the oceans and, and the water in the clouds above. And then he fills it with birds and with fish. You now he's framing and he's filling and he's doing this in an orderly way, but he's also just speaking it. And that's our God. Third, we're introduced to a God who creates according to his wisdom and his will. And if you'll notice as you read just chapter one, the word according to occur 10 times. According to, according to, according to. It makes you imagine a God in heaven with an accordion just playing, just maybe not. Maybe not you, for me. That's the way I'm, but according to this, according. What it says about our God is that his wisdom and his will are bringing shape to creation. You know, the the pear tree bears fruit we call pears. You pull the seed out of the middle, you put it in the ground, and what happens? An orange tree. No, not an orange tree, a pear tree. Because it's been designed by God, according to his wisdom and his will, to be a pear tree. And it says a lot about his, his authority and his power and his intelligent design. Fourth, the creation account introduces us to a God who crowns his creation with humanity. The final act, the climax, is when man and woman enter his creation. And he gives them authority to rule, dominion over the earth. Uh, This is his, this is the very best. And so as God is doing this, and and creation is unfolding here, he's saying, that's good, that's good. That's good, that's good, that's good. He saw it and it was good. And then this is very good, very good. You know, it would be something if, if this story of creation was held in isolation in Genesis 1 and 2, but the truth is it's not. As you read the rest of the Tanakh, the Older Testament, we see God continues to be this God, right? Can you think of moments in scripture when he, he brings order to chaos in the Old Testament? Oh, again and again, he does this. He breaks in to deliver his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt. As they're crying out in their bondage, he hears their prayers. And imagine what that sounds like. When my kids at the house start crying out about things, it's not all, well, fairly often, they don't cry out in, in solo. It's like, 
It's just like, oh, there's so much. Our God, with a heart for his people, he's made a covenant with, hears their prayers. And in that chaos, what does God do? He restores order, raises up a deliverer, brings them out of Egypt. And he doesn't stop there when they get to Mount Sinai and they're trying to figure out what does life look like? This guy took my cow. How do I handle that? He gives them the gift of the law to further establish order. And he did it so well, countless countries represented by flags up here have reached back to that law to establish order wherever they happen to be in the world. That's our God. He's a God who brings order to chaos. More than that, think about the rest of the Old Testament and, and where we see evidence that we, he speaks life. The prophets are constantly saying this. They talk about the one who can bring a spring out of a desert. But then his word in the mouths of his prophets literally does that in the Older Testament. We see that happening. You know, he, he sends prophets to promise a better future. He establishes a covenant with a man who's nearly 90 years old and tells his wife, oh yeah, you're gonna have a baby. And she says, ha, ha, ha. Like literally, she laughs. But what happens? He spoke life. Life's on the way. A year later, she's got a baby. You just think, what is, who is this? Well, this is a God who speaks life and has from the beginning. More evidence that our God, we see a portrait of in Genesis 1 and 2, is our God today. And we can see that happen. And he creates according to his wisdom and his will. And he gives these explicit instructions about what a tabernacle is supposed to look. And if you've ever been a, a read through the Bible and a year person, and then you get into like Leviticus and you're like, oh my, how many times are we going to talk about the color of the robes or of the curtains or where the tassels go or all this? It's like, it's hard to get through that. I know it is. But our God is a God who spoke those things so that life would be done according to his will and his wisdom. And that perfect vision for a tabernacle became the perfect vision for a temple where God's people could learn how holy he is. Remember it, not forget it. And then learn to live life with him in a way that really was holy. Uh, there's more evidence in the Older Testament as you know, God continues to just bring about justice for those who are marginalized. He sees it out of control and he sees it running not according to his will and his wisdom. And what does he do? He intervenes again and again in the Older Testament. He also crowns his creation with humanity. And not just once in the beginning, but again and again, God faithfully calls people you and I would never expect to take a real leadership role. And he crowns them, he anoints them to restore order again, to reign on the earth. Guys like Gideon, who's hiding in the wine press so that people won't pick on him. God says, the Lord's with you, mighty warrior. And he says, well, me? Like, I'm the weakest, uh, my tribe, my family, like, we're nothing. But God raises him up and uses him to, to throw off their oppressors. And this is our God. This is the God of creation. This is the king of creation. And it's not just who he was. Brothers and sisters, it's who he is today. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Sometimes we forget. You know, fast forward to first century Palestine and Jesus is walking the earth and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And people are like, what does that even mean? 
And he keeps telling parables that some of them are like, oh, and some of them are like, what does that even mean? And this is going on and on. And he's even grabbing elements of creation to help explain what the kingdom of God is and what the kingdom of God is about. And then he dies on the cross for you and me to remove from us the stain of sin. He rises from the dead so that we can have life forever. And then people are like, what does this mean? (laughs) They're still wrestling with it. They want to understand. And it's in that vacuum where people are really confused and understand that the Apostle John decides to write a gospel and share the good news. And you know how he starts? In the beginning. Let's read it together. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. How can we listen to that and not like, woo, like celebrate, like that's such good news. But do you notice what John is doing? In order for John to adequately explain who Jesus is, he's got to go back to creation and borrow the words. Like he's ripping it off. Like this is plagiarism in the beginning. But then he he adds a tweak to help us understand more fully. In the beginning was the word. And what was the word in the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. And as we read the story of Genesis 1, what's the word doing? changing everything. It's bringing order to chaos. As Jesus says, let there be light. That word changes everything. He says, let there be a vault. It changes everything. Let there be giraffes. And they're here. That's happening. And John says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The darkness, you know, hasn't understood it. But this is the light you've been wondering about. Jesus. John makes the claim The bold claim that this one you can't stop wondering at, this one that has you confused, this one that's so great, the world is is all in a tizzy about who he is. This is God. This is the king of creation. Paul adds his voice in Colossians chapter one. This is what he says. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, 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 we got through John 1 and no one was screaming, but Colossians 1 should bring you up out of your chair, right? Like this is, okay, so I'll, I'll confess to being a football, basketball, baseball, even occasionally soccer fan. And routinely, I will see things on the screen that I'm like, yeah, Martha will tell you, I'm trying to tackle the guys in our living room half the time like this and like that. Like, I'm into it. But I pray that we as a church can come to a place 
or we invest ourselves just as profoundly in these truths, in these miraculous, amazing acts. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Verse 18, he is the head of the body. And this is where Paul helps us make the connection that that I'm I'm longing for us all to make this morning. It's this, that the creator king in the beginning made all things. And it was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. And he rested on the seventh day, but it wasn't done. Jesus walked the earth as the same creator king. And he was interested in bringing a kingdom, but not just bringing a kingdom. We learn in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, that each one of us who are in Christ are what? A new creation. And not just individually a new creation, but that we are collectively a new creation. There's this thing called the body of Christ. Christ is the head, but we are the hands and the feet. And understand, just like Jesus at creation, just like the Son of God at creation fashioned Adam and Eve, and spoke them into existence, breathed air into their nostrils. In the same way, he walked the earth to create the church, to establish a new body, a body for his head, so that we might be connected. I'll put it this way. I've got a hand, right? The mind of this hand is Keith's mind, right? And my foot also has a mind. My hand and my foot didn't get the best, right? Sometimes my hand and my foot struggle to do what they should do together at the same time, especially if there's ice on the ground. Anybody else has experienced this in the last month? My hands and my feet are connected to the head, which has the supremacy over them, communicating with them what they should be about. Jesus came to do the same thing with you and me. We have the mind of Christ because He longs to put our hands and our feet to work in a way that's so much better than anything we could accomplish on our own. I'm going to quote this because I have to in just about every sermon that I give. Ephesians chapter 3 is the best news I've found in Scripture. Here's it. Here it is. Ready? Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than my feet and my hands can do on slippery ice or immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. That's us. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Like that's the plan. That's the good news. It's so much more than, hey, you know what? Jesus died for you. He's taken your sins away. See you later. That's not it. That's the start. That's not even the start. But that's the good news. That's a part of it. But the rest of it is this. Brothers and sisters, our God is not done creating. And the scriptures make it clear. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12 that Jesus is leading us in procession and he's giving gifts so that we might function as a part of his body. And we're glorious. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. But what does Jesus think of his body? He came to give us life, to stitch us together, to hold us together, and then to lead us in Man, a work that is beautiful. I want you to think for a second. And honestly, I, I'd, I'd like for you to close your eyes because I think that'll help us. Um, and I want you to think to the most pristine, beautiful, amazing scene your eyes have ever taken in on the earth. That place at the 
at the beach or in the mountains or maybe even just down the road here. That spot on God's earth that just stirs your heart. Keep that firmly etched in your mind. But then hear this from Romans chapter 12. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So I've got a, just a, a real serious question for you. There's a, a, in our country anyway, and I think in many countries, this, this wanderlust, this like insatiable appetite for travel, to go to the places that are like what you just, just, just were imagining in your mind, right? Um, I know my girls follow uh, some YouTubers that are, that are really good at this, and they go all over the place, and they just love their adventures, and all the things they see. And I'll tell you myself, like, I'd love to go to these places and take teenagers out on, into the wild and have done that for years and just been backpacking, all that kind of stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. But you know what else I'd love? I'd love for people to come banging down those doors, to go running into life groups for a creation that's even better, for the body God is stitching together. For a people who bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, because that is even better. They just don't know it. They long for it. They want it, but they're missing it. Maybe some of you are here for that reason. You're like, I need life. I need, I need this stuff I've heard about. Where can I get it? May God strengthen us by the power of His Spirit to be what the world so desperately wants, a new creation, a community fashioned in his image, full of his spirit, alive in those places where the world is dead, giving light in places where the world is really dark. Oh, that's my desire. And I know it was Paul's too. In Philippians chapter one, Paul shared something remarkable, but, and I want to share it with you. But before I do, I feel like, you know, we always, we t- tend to finish up sermons here at City Church with this feet to our faith thing, right? Okay, well, here's feet to your faith. But I, I just felt like as I was preparing this message, we c- I couldn't go there yet. We had to go somewhere else first. And this is it. Um, glory to our God. I think creation was meant to stir in us an appreciation for, for God, to testify to how awesome he is, And at the same time, just like, take our breath away. If you haven't done that today, don't close your eyes and lay your head on your pillow tonight until you've just 
sat still and marveled at our God. All of this should get us just a little excited about who God is, what he's doing, and how good he is at it, because he is very good. And the good news that he didn't just do it, but he does it and he will do it, is even better. The last words we hear from Jesus in Revelation in Scripture is this bold declaration, Behold, I am making all things new. Oh my goodness, that's good news. I don't know what you're living in. I bet it's not great. I bet you have some relationships that are struggling. I bet you see from here to work or from here to school some brokenness in our world. I bet there are times you're just so fed up with how hard life is here that you don't want to you don't want to keep going. But Jesus announces from heaven on his throne, behold, I am making all things new. He's not done creating. He's the king over creation. And it's not just a past, it's a present, and it's a future. And that's good news. So what do a people of faith do with that? How do we answer that? If we really do believe this is who he was, this is who he is, this is who he will be, how do we live? I'm convinced Paul gives us a hint in Philippians chapter 1. This is it. Writing to his his friends in Philippi, he said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Do we have that confidence? Do we have that confidence that what's not good yet can be made good by the one who is our creator king, that he's invested in. He longs to. If we do, then we're like Paul. We always pray. We can always pray. You can always pray. Even when it's hard to believe, you can always pray. So I want you to stand with me, if you don't mind. We're gonna worship here in a second. We're gonna grab hold of some words that I think are, are inspired, that really help us to live with a passion what Paul is asking us to do. But as we do that, as we worship, I want you to invite the Lord to put on your heart and in your mind individuals or situations you need to bring to him, to ask him to go to work, to finish the good work he's begun. Ask the Lord to reveal that to you as we worship, as we give glory to the God who gives life.